0: Everyone, this morning. We have a wonderful day ahead as we turn to God's Word. You can open to Luke chapter 17. I trust you're able to stay for our our, uh, church Thanksgiving dinner this afternoon. I'll promise not to speak too long with that smell wafting up the stairs today. It should keep me short. Right. Um, but in light of the dinner, we, um, we traditionally, we have fellowship dinner, we just kind of get started, sing when we get started, come down when you want, but if you would uh, cooperate this morning, we'd like to get seated and uh, pray together as a church family and be and dismissed by table. so keep that in mind. If you're up here, if you can join us, um, come on down and we'll get started, seated and started and, and dig in. Luke 17, beginning with verse 11. Says this. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And he lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today for the gift of your Son. Father, we... we, we Saying of that this morning, Father, you've given us many blessings, but the greatest blessing of all was the gift of salvation that you've given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing, Father, that, that the Lord Jesus took upon him the form of a human body, a human person, and, in order to become our Savior, and was willingly gave himself for our sins on the cross as you laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Father, thank you that that death on the cross, cross satisfied your requirement for the penalty of sin. Thank you that through the Lord Jesus we find forgiveness and cleansing. We find the assurance of eternal life. And Father, we rejoice in him. We thank him. We worship him. And Father, today as we gather together we pray that you would draw our hearts to him. At the end of our service today, Father, we remember him and the Lord's table he instituted. And Father, may we ever be mindful of your great love for us as God our creator became our savior. And Father, we pray that it would equip us to be lights for you. And we do pray for the world around us, Father, that that we'd be aware of those who are in need, those who who need to be uh, need help, those who need support, but especially those who need uh, salvation, Father. And embolden us to share the love of Christ, the God who not only saves us for all eternity, but the God who helps us navigate through life. And so, Father, direct as we study your word together and impress upon us the truths that we ought to learn, and may your spirit be our teacher and guide. Now for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. There was a kid's song written many years ago, I think by Patch the Pirate, that talked about grumbling. Imagine that, kids and grumbling in the same sentence. And it was like, grumble on Monday, grumble on Tuesday, grumble on Wednesday, th- Wednesday too, and you get the picture. And I think the chorus was grumble, 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 grumble. And we know what that's like because in life there are many things that, that, that we think are worthy of grumbling about. There are many things in our lives that bring discomfort, unwelcome circumstances bring difficulties and challenges and our tendency as, as human beings is to grumble because we don't like it we like to be comfortable we like to have things go well for us but the fact is we live in a broken world broken because of sin by the way and in that broken world we experience throughout our lifetime reasons that that reasons that would get those things that would give us reason to grumble. But the Bible paints a different picture of God's desire for mankind. Throughout the Bible, we see God encouraging a thankful spirit, an attitude of gratitude, you might say. And that's, we find it throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, I don't know if there's a more common theme than the encouragement to be thankful. And today we celebrate together our, our Thanksgiving uh, dinner as a church. And in doing so, we want to recognize the goodness of our God. You know, when you think of Thanksgiving, going way back to its roots over 300 years ago, um, it began with a people who recognize God's provision and protection in their lives. And I thought I would just read you the first, as far as we know, the first Thanksgiving proclamation by Governor Bradford of Massachusetts that he made three years after the pilgrims settled at Plymouth. And he says this, Inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, to gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, in the third year since ye pilgrims landed ye on Pilgrim Rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. William Bradford, ye governor of ye colony. That's a lot of ease. And when I threw it, actually, I thought, boy, that means a lot of different things in every sentence. But the point here is they recognize God's involvement in their lives. They credited to him their provisions, their protection, their health. And they recognized that God was a personal God, that God cared for them, was watching over them. And, and that's because we, ha- we have a God who is involved, is engaged with the lives of those he created. The Bible says he is a present help. Not an absentee father. Not a distant God somewhere out there in the universe. He, he created man in, in initially for relationship. He wanted a, a person or people that he could love. He could express his love and his goodness to. And that could love him and appreciate him and know him in return. That's just the fact of the matter. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he didn't run, run away to distant space. He re- remained engaged with his people. And thankfulness, as they expressed here in the original Thanksgiving, was a recognition of God's involvement, of God's care, of God's love for them, and God's goodness to them. And they were confident of that, no doubt, because they knew already from the Bible that God had proven his love. The Bible says no greater love that a man has than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And Romans 5.8 says God commends his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And these folks had known that God had already proven his love by going to the nth degree, by going over and above and beyond in the Lord Jesus coming to earth to die for sinners so that we could be forgiven before a holy God. But the tendency is, is to forget. And that's why the Bible reminds us over and over and over again to be thankful in a recognition of God and his goodness to us. But we forget, just like the 10 lepers. It's kind of an amusing story, isn't it? We read in our scripture reading. 10 lepers call out to Jesus for healing, for rescue, and he did. He sent it to the priest to, to go through the ritual, ritualistic acknowledgement of their cleansing, but only one came back to say thanks. And that's his point 10%, one out of 10. And he came back and he brought glory to God. And I think maybe this, you know, this. Glory to God, where he attributed God's glory, was maybe not necessarily a loud proclamation, but just an honest affirmation that it was God who healed him, God who rescued him, who delivered him, who helped him, was just an honest public testimony that Jesus made him whole. And that gave God the glory he deserved, because God is the one who would accomplish that. (coughs) Excuse me. You see, giving thanks expresses expresses appreciation for the thoughtfulness of another and it gives recognition to God who is the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And so the Bible reminds us over and over and over again on many different fronts, in many different situations and circumstances to be thankful. We have in the Bible a reference to thankfulness in everything. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 says this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who in the world gives thanks always for all things? No, we'd rather grumble, grumble, grumble. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I don't think God is telling us here to be thankful for the bad stuff that happens to us, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, being, he says, be thankful because God, he is still present. Because he is still sovereign. He is still in control. He is still watching over us. And that's behind this directive is an awareness that the God is still on the throne. In his sovereign power, he still rules and cares for us. He's told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews thirteen five. Or Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. And life is filled with calamities. Look at the world around us today. But the comfort we take as believers according to the promises of God and His eternal word is that He is still on the throne. He is working things out according to His sovereign will, and we can trust Him. And that's what it means to be thankful in all things in every place. Not that we're thankful for the calamity, but we're thankful that God is with us, that God is helping us navigate through those calamities of life and that he has not lost control. And especially in the current events of the last few years and the present events in the world, sometimes we think that the world's spinning out of control. It's definitely out of our control, but it's not out of God's control. And that's why we can be thankful that he is in control, that he is caring for us in the midst of the storms of life. Another areas we're told to include thankfulness is in our prayers. Related to the previous topic, it says this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we're told here once again to be anxious for nothing, because God's got this. But instead... Committed to God with in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving knowing you have a God who is able. You have, we have, thanksgiving because we have a God who is willing to help. We, thankful, thankful because we have a God who loves us and is faithful to us. And that's why we pray with thanksgiving, recognizing God is involved in my life. He cares for me. You know, there are times, and I mentioned this frequently in the Psalms, when the psalmist described his life and he was... In despair, uh, many psalms start out with with a note of despair and despondency and hopelessness in life. And we've been there. But by the end of the psalms, we find that the psalmist orients to the knowledge of God, orients to the word of God, the promises of God, the presence of God, and he finds rest in their life, in their lives. And that's why thankfulness has an effect on us, to have a thankful attitude in these things. Because thankfulness helps us remember that God's got this. Thankfulness then brings perspective and then peace to our unsettled hearts. We don't have to be anxious. We can be thankful instead that God's got this. And then the third thing it, it, it brings to our lives or brings to God is the honor he deserves. To recognize he is who he says he is. He is a God who is caring for his created people and his own. You know that lack of thankfulness contributes to the decline of society? You can turn if you want to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses. I've got them here on the screen. But if you want to follow it all, just a few books to the right, Romans chapter 1. We're here, it addresses the the results of a lack of thankfulness. Romans 1, verse 21 says, Because, verse 21 says, Because although they knew God. They did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice this begins, as this chapter describes the decline of society, the, the, the um, downward spiral to spiritual darkness and morality. It says when they knew God, they knew God, at least they knew of God, maybe they knew God, maybe they knew Jesus as their Savior, maybe they just knew God was a creator, They didn't glorify him as God or were thankful. Notice he puts those two in the same category, in the same sentence. They didn't glorify him as God, neither were they thankful. Well, if people do not glorify God as God, if they don't recognize God as the creator, as the God he claims to be, then why would they be thankful if they did not know him? A lack of thankfulness contributes to the decline of society. The only way we can maintain a heart of peace and praise and thankfulness is when we know that God is who he says he is. You know, there's no either or. You can't say you believe in God and then define your own version of God. Either he's the God he says he was when he was on the earth, the God he's recorded to be in the Bible, or he's not. It's an either or proposition. There's no kind of I like to invent my own kind of God where I can kind of believe there's a God. and You know, because there's, some, because there's morals, there must be a moral law giver. There must be a God if there's laws who establish those morals, but... After that, he's not really interested in my life. And many of us invent that. We invent a God who can tolerate my lifestyle, my attitudes. But that's not the God of the Bible. If the Bible is God's eternal word as it is, and if history is, it, it, much of biblical history is recorded and verified for us, many prophecies have been filled, fulfilled in the scripture, it all indicate that God is who he says he is the Almighty Creator God. Just look around us. You know, it's that time of year when. Some people are spending time outdoors in the woods, deer hunting and doing outdoor activities or grouse hunting or whatever you might like to do. Goose hunting, duck hunting, or working dawn to dusk is some of our favorite recreation. But just notice the beauty around us, the wonder of creation. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 19 that the creation declares, and it means scream really loudly, the glory of God. It declares. You can't take an honest look at the world around us without recognizing a creator and the glory of our Creator. So although they knew God, they did not glorify Him a God, and therefore they weren't thankful. What happens? They became futile. The first step downward. Their foolish hearts was darkened. The next step downward. Down in verse 22 and 23 it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. And though we don't put those kind of idols that he's referring to here, On our mantles, there are things we worship in our lives, like the things sitting in our garage or in our pole barns or whatever it might be. And as mankind continues to decline, verse 24 says, Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Several times in this chapter, it says, God gave them up as they continued, as as society continues this downward trend. It's a progressively repeated steps as God who wants to restrain us, rescue us, save us, deliver us, and keep us from the, the damages of our foolish hearts. But when we neglect him and aren't thankful to him and recognize him, it becomes darker and darker and darker. And that's where we're at today. It's darkness. How did the world get so dark as what's going on in the East today? They didn't glorify God as God. They didn't value life as God values life. That's how. And so, lack of thankfulness contributes to this progressively downward spiral of society. Another thing we're to be thankful, we are to be thankful, then, on the other hand, is for God's goodness and mercy to us in spite of our condition. Psalm 107.1, a, a psalm about thankfulness, says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And then you see this phrase repeated throughout this chapter. Verse 8 says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It should be normal. And some people think, well, why does God want all this praise and credit? He's egotistical, and why should we serve him? And it's not like that at all. It's just he just deserves the glory he's proven for the for the works he's proven that he deserves. He is God. He is the perfect God, the almighty God, the sovereign God, the God of love, the God of righteousness, holiness. He's perfectly just, fair, kind, and faithful. You know, we, we get all excited on a Sunday afternoon and cheer for, for a football team that doesn't deserve the half, half the glory we give them. And so we're worried about giving glory to a God who has it coming. He's just he who he is. And we find the best blessing in life is to acknowledge that because then we become Thankful. And recognize that God is a friend. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He wants to help us through life. He sent his son to rescue us so we could spend eternity with him forever and ever. And in the meantime, he would hold our hand as we stumble through the calamities of life. Oh, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. That's something to be thankful for. Mercy sometimes is tr- translated compassion. God has compassion on his children. Same idea. And that means that God doesn't give us what, what, what we deserve because as sinners we deserve the judgment of hell. You know, Genesis 2.17, shortly after God created mankind, he warned him, he says, the day you eat that, that, that forbidden fruit, the day you eat you're going to die. The day you eat. Well, you know, we know they ate and they died. Not immediately physically, but they died to God in their relationship. You could, death is a hard thing to define, but it is maybe easier to describe, and we describe death as a separation. And Adam and Eve, who were created as as men and women to walk in harmony with God, were separated from God. Their relationship was broken. And because of that, and because of the sin, Death came upon all men, for all have sinned, according to Romans 5.12. And so Romans 3.10 says, all have, says that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside, together become a prophet, there's none who does good, no, not one. That's mankind. We're born into this world in a desperate condition. We're born because of sin, separated from our God, and God would deliver us from that, rescue us from that, through the cross. And that's why, God's mercy is such a wonderful thing because we don't have a God that's out to get you as we often think. Sometimes we think when the bad things happen in our lives that God's just getting even with me. God doesn't get even. Yes, God required a penalty for sin, but (laughs) hallelujah, Jesus took that penalty on the cross. God may discipline his children just like you discipline yours. But God is for you. He is for us. He extends mercy. He wants to lift us up rather than tear us down. And that's what mercy is. It's the compassion of a father who'd rather dust us off when we fall, set us back on our feet, and get us going again. What a wonderful thing to be thankful for. And that's a wonderful aspect of grace, because so often we like to think that we have to earn our way into God's favor. If you're unsaved here this morning, you might think you the way you get to heaven is by being good. And if you're honest, that becomes hopeless, by the way. But the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. See, God forgives based upon the cross of Christ when we're willing to trust the Lord Jesus as Savior. And so we're born into life in a rebellion called sin that requires not only a penalty but a cleansing because sin is a stain on the life, and both were accomplished at the cross. Just look around us. Does the world today deserve a Savior? Did it deserve God's love? Or are they in rebellion against God? Abandoning God? Neglecting God? Yet God is merciful for us. And that's why the fifth thing here may be to be thankful for, and maybe the most important to be thankful, is God's gracious provision of a Savior. We celebrate that today in the Lord's Table it's something we ought to be thankful for every day. First Corinthians 15:57 says, "But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." What's the victory? It's over sin, death, hell and the grave. He gives us the victory to eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. We get to someday escape this, this sin-cursed earth that brings us lots of reasons to grumble. And God wants to deliver us to eternal glory in heaven with him. What's that going to be like? We don't know, but it's going to be free from sin, sickness, and disease. No more crying, death, or sorrow, the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, he puts it this way, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. Well, notice that thanks is directional, by the way. Thanks be to God. I think so often we give selfish thanks when we go around our Thanksgiving table because all it's about is is I'm thankful because I'm happy for me or at Christmas. Look what I got. Not really recognizing that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Here the thanks is to God. It's directional. And it's for his indescribable gift. What a a big word that says a lot in a short sentence. One version, the King James Version, interpreted this word, the unspeakable gift. The ESV, if you have one, says the inexpressible gift. So what does it mean? It means it's beyond description, beyond comprehension. The gift of his son is beyond is, is beyond explanation. It's beyond anything we would invent as human beings, this idea of, the, of God himself. You know, when we think of lordship and master, we think of somebody who rules with an iron hand and everybody serves and... And yet we find this great love of the Lord Jesus coming to die for us. So why is it indescribable? Well, first of all, it's because who it was that took our place. It's because it was God himself, the Lord Jesus. 1 John 2 2 says this, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I like that double pronoun, he himself. God's putting that for emphasis, he himself. He didn't send somebody to rescue us. He himself stepped into humanity to become a man so that he might rescue us. He himself. That's an amazing thing that God left the glories of heaven. None of us would do that. None of us would leave the throne of our lives, whatever rule we we have and domain we have underneath us to, to help the scum of the earth. But Jesus did, He came to save sinners. And that's another reason it's indescribable. It's because of who he did it for. He died for those who neglected, rebelled, rejected him. He said on the cross to those who crucified him, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Who says that? Well, Jesus did. Because we're so undeserving. You know, we're described in the scriptures, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We've strayed from God. We've turned away from God. We've re- rejected him. Today, the Bible has become nothing more than another fable book on many people's shelves, if they even own one, instead of seeing it as the, the words of the God who created them. The instruction book. The truth which will last forever. In fact, God said he's exalted his word above his name. He said, though heaven and earth will pass away someday, my word will never pass away. And yet we neglect that book, we, we could care less what it says, instead we base our lives on our own ideas and opinions and cultures, truths and popular opinion and, you know, and social influencers and heroes and role models and the Bible sits dusty when it has the words of life. It's a delightful book that describes as a delightful God of love and grace. It's, it's indescribable because of who stepped into humanity to rescue us, the Lord Jesus himself. It's, in, it's indescribable because he did it for lowly sinners, undeserved sinners. We didn't ask for it. We don't deserve it. We've, we've offended a holy God. But he died for us anyway. It's also indescribable because of the, the great cost, the awful agony that he bore in our place. If you want to follow along, turn to Isaiah 53. Just look at a couple of verses. Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Kind of a big book. It shouldn't be too hard to find. You know, sometimes we forget, and maybe that's why the Lord encouraged us to have the Lord's table, to remember the awful price that was paid. You know, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're never, you're never going to know the agonies of hell or as it's called, the lake of fire. Never, because Jesus experienced that for us. And we can't imagine. You know, if death is separation, and if spiritual and eternal death is eternal separation from God, hell is everything God is not. If God is love, if God is joy, God is peace, contentment, bounty, and so on, hell is, at the very best, the absence of those, because separation from all those blessings. Blessings of the goodness of God. I don't even want to imagine how terrible it is. It's more terrible than anything you ever see happen on the face of this earth, as terrible as some things are. Eternal torment. But that's what Jesus bore in our place. Before Before we look here, Matthew 27, 45, and 46 says this, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that's when he was on the cross, from noon to three, there was darkness over all the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness over the land for three hours. At the end of that period, Jesus cries that out. Why have you forsaken? And we believe he said, My God, my God, because he's talking about my God the Father, my God the Holy Spirit. Why have you turned your backs on me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here alone? Well, during those three hours, he experienced our our spiritual death, our eternal separation from God. He experienced on that cross. He was innocent. He was without sin. He took our sins, and maybe this is what occurred. If you look at verse 4 here, this is what occurred during that time. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we've esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, the Father, that is, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or sins. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, punishments, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What an awful, the most awful three hours of human history. Those three hours when God laid on the sun the iniquity, iniquity of us all. Yes, Jesus was crucified by mankind. Yes, he, the nails pierced his hands and feet. Yes, they crowned him with thorns, beat him, mocked him, and ridiculed him. But tragedy of tragedies is that he became sin for us, according to the Bible. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not that God got his jollies out of bruising him, but it was God's will to rescue us. He has put him to grief When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. For by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. His objective was to rescue sinners, to justify sinners. You see, as sinners, we stand before God guilty and condemned. But Jesus took that condemnation on the cross when his Father laid on him the sins of us all. So on that basis, God could declare the penalty to be paid, the slate to be clean. Forgiveness is available because sins have been paid for. And now you and I can be justified, declared right with God. That's what that means through our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he bore on the cross. Another reason the unspeakable gift is so indescribable is because of the depth of God's love for us. This all entails God's love and I mentioned this before, but I think it was J. Vernon McGee that said in John three sixteen, how big is so when he said, God so loved the world, and that world is you and I. Put your name in there. God so loved. So much love. You know, it seems crazy. If, if you accept these truths as real, as God's word is true, how crazy it is to reject it, to be so loved that Jesus would take our place, our hell, our separation on the cross to rescue us. And then make us his child and hold our hands through life. Verse John 4.10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The last reason this is indescribable is because of grace. It's because this is all free. I mentioned justification. Romans 5.1 says being justified freely. By his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption is the paying of a price to purchase us. The price was his life. But we're justified freely. Declared right freely. You don't earn it. You don't have to give money. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to be baptized or any other ho- jump, jump through any other religious hoops. We're just, justified freely. This is all free. Now that's unbelievable and speakable and indescribable. The concept of grace. That God would just save us because He loves us. Undeserved sinners and all. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For our grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And you and I will never boast. Stick our spiritual thumbs and our spiritual suspenders and say, I made it. I got here. Look out, Peter. Here I come. No. No. We'll never boast. Paul says, if you're going to boast in anything or glory in anything, it's going to be in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, who accomplished our redemption through the complete and full paying of the penalty for sins, past, present, and future on that cross. Some of us think that, you know, my life has been so bad, I've made so many mistakes that God could never forgive me. And yet, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished which means paid in full. He completely paid for all sins for all time, and God freely forgives. No matter the depth, the darkness, the frequency of our sin, God forgives through Jesus Christ because he paid it all, and that's grace. It's free. Free is good. If you see a free sign on the side of the road, we all hit our brakes and think, oh, what can I take home that I shouldn't? But this is the greatest gift we could give, the greatest free we could ever have. It's the thing to be the most thankful for. Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift because of the free gift of salvation. It's the greatest thing we can be thankful for. And it's for you and I. And that's why we have these verses in John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whoever, not the deserved, whoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or verse 18, which says in the same chapter, which says he who believes in him is not condemned. Good news. If you don't believe, you're condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But then in the last verse of the chapter, verse 36, says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so Jesus has done all this work, but the decision is yours. Are you going to trust the one who loved you so much, so undeservedly, who took your hell on the cross? Are you going to trust him, believe in him? If so, God says we can be eternally saved. Your sins are forgiven. You can be assured of an eternal home. Later in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Most surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. What a wonderful promise to claim. And so I hope this morning that you have that assurance. And I hope this morning that we, you are thankful. And the greatest thing we can be thankful for, all the different categories of thankfulness, they're all based upon, rooted in, founded upon, the greatest expression of love there ever has been, the love of the Lord Jesus and taking your sin and mine on the cross and raising victorious to offer us eternal victory in heaven with him. This is why it's indescribable. This is why we can be so thankful for it. And this is why we'll celebrate it here to follow. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful uh, for that indescribable gift. You tell us throughout your word to be thankful, Father, because you are a God who is a present help in our lives. You are engaged in our lives. You've proven that love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, this indescribable, unexpressible, beyond imagination gift of love and grace that you give us so freely. And we pray this morning that each one who's here might rest in the death of christ for them that they might have their eternity settled that they might put their faith in the lord jesus christ as their savior from sin and savior for all eternity and we pray as your children that we would rejoice in this gift every day that we'd realize the the pit from which we're dug the hell from which we're rescued and the help we have in life as you are a god who was ever with us and father now as we turn to the lord's table that remembrance feast that the lord jesus instituted may you draw our hearts even closer to him in expressing our thanks and gratitude and to you for, for your glory we pray in jesus name amen